encounter grace, where we come face to face with God's work in the world for our good. Join host Jason McKnight as we explore practical issues of community, theology, and leadership in everyday life. Hey, welcome to Encounter Grace. I'm Jason McKnight, and I've got a question for you. What is a missionary? Why do people become missionaries? And what's the best type of missionary? I realize that's three questions, but think it through. You know, the world has become so much more connected over the last 20 years through the internet and social media and all this kind of stuff. And it seems to me that with that connectivity of being able to be anywhere in the world on our screens at once, there's kind of a lessening of the impetus for the church in America and other countries to raise up and send out missionaries. But a church can't be faithful to the gospel's call if it's not a sending church. And so this is really important for us to keep wrestling with as believers in our day and age. What is a missionary? Why do people become missionaries? What's the best type of missionary? Even more so in our moment, our cultural moment of the last two or three years where Wait, is it Western imperialism? Uh, are, we, are we imparting bad habits in different places? And maybe, maybe Christians shouldn't take the gospel to uh, different places. Well, we want to stand against that. We want to invite you to consider why the gospel really is the best thing in the world and why missionaries really still have a part of God's purposes. So as part of our uh, ability to encounter grace in all of our lives— we get to have a great discussion with a new friend to many of us, Dr. Megan Scott, who grew up in Kinston and hails from Kinston and now lives in Bolivia as a missionary. Megan, thank you for coming. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm so glad that the Lord has you in Kinston for a couple of months on what they used to call furlough. Yes. What do they call it now? Home assignment. Home assignment. Very official. <laughs> I like that. Well, it's, I mean, who knows what furlough is, <laughs> you know, but our goal, just so you know, our goal here in the listening community at Encounter Grace is to have conversations with folks that will build us all up so that we can see together God's grace at work in the world for our good. So I just... Let's use this as a template as we kind of talk back and forth. Let's let folks get to know you. Awesome. All right. Tell us who you are. I mean, I already said you grew up in Kinston, but give us a little bit more of a background. <laughs> sure. So I am a family physician, and I have been serving with the mission organization SIM in Potosi, Bolivia, for four years now. Wow. Um, but yeah, like you said, I was born and raised in Kinston, North Carolina. I graduated from Parrot Academy and. Then spent some time in Chapel Hill, um, oh, supporting my Tar Heels. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and ended up doing my medical school and residency in Greenville. So oh, I've wonderful. been at around, Brody. yes, at Brody. I've been around Eastern North Carolina my whole life. Wow. Yeah. And um, what led you to medicine? Well, when what I What did was... you study at Carolina? Uh, biology. Okay, biology. So you yes. maybe even knew you were going there. Yes. To medicine. Exactly. So when I was a teenager, I had this thought, like many do, oh, I'm good at biology. I want to help people. Being a doctor sounds like a great idea. <laughs> um, but really, it wasn't until I started growing in my faith and spent some time shadowing physicians that um, I really respect and that love the Lord mm -hmm. that I really understood more of what that could mean to be a physician. And so I 
started to see that medicine is really just a means to do ministry. Mm. And that as a doctor, you have the opportunity and the privilege to be present in the most vulnerable moments of a person's life. Whether it's a really exciting moment, like the birth of a baby, or if you're giving really hard news um, to a patient, you really have an opportunity to speak God's love into those moments and into those situations. And so more than anything, that's what ultimately um, drove me to become a physician. Oh, I love that. Now, so you you talk about being motivated by your faith. So take us one step earlier. When did you come to Christ? So I didn't come to Christ until I was 14 years old. Um, So I didn't grow up in the church, but, you know, thank the Lord. (laughs) I have an older brother and some of his good friends started taking him to youth group at Queen Street United Methodist Church. Right on, yeah. Back when he was in high school and he came to know the Lord. And as the younger sister, I had to tag along um, to different youth group events. And so I got to know um, my youth leaders really well. Sammy and Desta Hudson were the youth leaders at the time. You're kidding. No. I mean, Sammy and Desta, the (laughs) refuge. The refuge, yes. Wow. Um, and so while I was a part of that youth group, um, not only was I learning more about Bible stories that I had never heard because I didn't grow up in the church, um, but I was also learning more and more that even though I was a good kid by the world standards, I could never be good enough Mm -hmm. to earn God's love or earn God's forgiveness and really began to recognize my need for a savior. And so when I was 14, I gave my life to the Lord. Mm. I've been following him since then. Not wow. perfectly, but... <laughs> no, of course, not perfectly. But isn't that yeah. amazing? So everyone says, oh, the South is the Bible built. But here's someone who really didn't go to church much at all and right. didn't know the Bible stories until no. 14 when your brother, who had just come to Christ, brought you with him and you met Christ yes. because his friends brought him, exactly. Sammy and Desta. I mean, I love seeing this. Yeah. I just love seeing this. Okay, so then you went to med school, motivated by your faith, followed different physicians around and saw them motivated by their faith. And so then what helped you decide on missions as a calling instead of, you know, opening up a practice in in an underserved rural area as a calling here in Eastern North Carolina, say? Yeah, that's a great question. So I didn't really start um, thinking about missions until my last year of medical school. Um, I knew that I wanted to do a specialization in family practice. I Mm. love taking care of all sorts of patients. Um, And so that excited me. But I had no idea what that would look like. Mm. If I should do private practice or work in a teaching hospital or work in a rural area, I had no idea. And it was a little bit stressful (laughs) um, for me at the time. But one of my mentors um, through the Christian Medical and Dental Association in Greenville said, hey, you have elective time your last year of medical school. Just try to enjoy it. Why don't you go and do a short-term mission trip? And I was like, this sounds like a great idea. So I'm going to go. So I went to Ecuador with Global Health Outreach, which is the short-term missions branch of CMDA. Okay. And um, really, it was in the preparation leading up to that trip that God started to change my heart. And mm. so one of the neatest things about the trips that GHO does is that they really try to get your heart and your mind in a good place, in a right place before you set foot on the mission field. And so my team was made up of um, healthcare professionals and students from around the U.S., but we would meet every week for about three months before our trip, and we would pray together, we would study the word together. 
Um, and we would also be reading this book, Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper. Sure, I've read it, love it. Excellent book. Mm-hmm. Um, and through all of this, I really started to see and understand a little bit more about God's heart for the nations right on. and how this has been his plan from the very beginning. Missions is not just a New Testament thing. Amen. You know? Preach um, it. <laughs> and this has been, you know, all of part of God's great plan. And so I was already feeling the Lord, the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. moving my heart in that way before I even set foot in Ecuador. Wow. And then once I got there, seeing patients and getting oh. to care for the physical needs and the emotional needs and the spiritual needs mm-hmm. of a patient all at the same time, I was just blown away and said, wow, this is really how medicine should be practiced. And the part of me that felt like I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life, all of a sudden I felt like, wow, Lord, this is why I went to medical school. This is why I did this training so that I can work cross-culturally and to care for people physically and spiritually. And so I left that two-week trip, came back to the U.S., and was convinced Mm. that the Lord was calling me to do long-term cross-cultural missions. And you found SIM. Yes. And you found a little country called Bolivia. Right. Like, like <laughs> Which of is all not the Ecuador. countries in the world. Yeah. Like. <laughs> right. Um, so I had to do my residency training. So, right. that, you know, that was one thing yeah. I had to do before I left for the field. But <laughs> I, um, during that time, started investigating different missions agencies, trying to find the right one, the right fit, and came across SIM. And, um, they just blew me away with the Mm. way that they care for their missionaries and their kind of um, theology behind the way they they do things. And um, so I was talking to them and I said, hey, I've been to Ecuador. I would love to go back to Ecuador. How can we make that happen? And they were like, we actually don't have anything in Ecuador. (laughs) I was like, oh man, what happened? I felt for sure that this is what, you know, the Lord had called me to. And my pastor at the time at Christ Presbyterian Church. Sure, in Winterville. Uh, in Winterville, mm-hmm. yeah. So he, we were talking and he said, you know, Megan, a lot of times people will say, well, I feel called to Ecuador. Or I feel called to Uganda or wherever it is. But the, the truth of the matter is we're actually called to the person of Christ. Mm-hmm. And we're called to serve the Lord wherever we are. And that he will be present with you wherever you are. And so maybe this door is closing for Ecuador, but it doesn't mean that the door is closing to missions. And so I was like, you're so right. Mm. <laughs> um, and so SIM presented me with the opportunity to go to Bolivia. And unbeknownst to me, it's exactly where the wow. Lord would have had me to go. So, so yeah. and, and not only are we called to Christ, which I love that, and, and I think even all of us in our lives, we need to remember that because we hold our plans so tightly, but you know, I'm yeah. called to Jesus. But the other thing that strikes me in your telling of the story is that you came across in God's sovereignty, SIM, which you said, oh, these people get it right. Yes. And that meant so much to you that you were willing to, to put Ecuador on with an open hand because, right. oh, well, this is a group that will be worth working with. Yes. Exactly. And that's the kind of church we want to be is a church that's worth working with even if it looks a little different than we all thought, you know, at the beginning of something that was planned. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I love that. I love that spiritual openness. So you arrive in Bolivia yes. in this little town called Potosi? Potosi. Potosi. See, I, I you know, with the, the second accents. syllable. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> Potosi. I could do it in French, you know. But um, how many people live there? 
There's about 200,000 people. Oh, a little that, town. <laughs> it is. It's small geographically, so very densely okay. populated. But to see 200,000, what do you do there? So Let's I, talk pre-COVID when you landed there, the first little bit. Right. So my first little bit was learning how to breathe because it's at 14,000 feet above sea level. Oh, wow. Not a lot of oxygen there. <laughs> so my first month um, was really just adjusting mm -hmm. to that climate and, and that work environment. Um, but no, so I take care of patients primarily. That's my primary role, direct patient care. Right. Um, but then I also do a lot of teaching, uh, medical professionals, students, um, and trying to further medical education in Bolivia as well. And do you, like SIM has already a place there, so you didn't just hang out your shingle, you tracked into a going concern. Yes, okay. so um, there were already two missionaries with SIM in Potosi at the time, one of whom was a physician, and the other is an English teacher, and so I joined their team. Um, but the really neat thing is that we work in a Bolivian-run Christian nonprofit clinic. So oh, it doesn't belong it. to the mission. It belongs to nationals, but we're helping staff it. Amen. And so what an exciting opportunity to be able to come alongside Bolivians and do God's work together. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the primary place where I take care of patients. But at about three months out of the year, I go out into the community and do the well child checks for Compassion International. Oh, wow. So, so those kids that get sponsored, yeah. they have have a doctor's visit every year and make sure they're growing well and don't have any health concerns and i'm the one who does those physicals in potosi wow yeah that's fantastic how then has everything changed with covid because i know bolivia was hit hard in terms of lockdown yes so the covid pandemic in bolivia was a very very difficult time mm. um really the country went into full lockdown yeah. in the end of march um, and when I say full lockdown, like you could leave your house one day a week to go get groceries. So for, for a certain amount of hours, right, even for like, it, for like four hours a day, you mm -hmm, could, you could leave week. Yeah, <clears throat> once a week. Um, but despite that cases soared mm. and the healthcare system collapsed at about the beginning of May, but mm. our cases didn't peak until September. So you can just imagine wow. the mounting number of cases of COVID and people that were really sick mm. with a collapsed healthcare system. And, and so when I say collapsed, I mean, hospitals would shut down, they would close because they either didn't have staffing because people were out sick with COVID or because they had to quarantine everybody because they had an exposure. Mm. Um, and so people were getting turned away from public right. and private hospitals alike. Um, and so it was a really difficult time. And then aside from that, there was a huge shortage of supplies mm. so oxygen masks mm. gloves it mm. was impossible to find these things wow. um, and made taking care of patients really difficult but um, you know thanks be to god our clinic our small <laughs> little clinic we have two doctors and two nurses um, we stayed open the entire pandemic we never wow. closed our doors um, part and, of the, and you were allowed to, like, you didn't have to be in that lockdown. Right. So like, medical professionals were allowed to okay. work, but aside from your work hours, you could not be you out. You had to be home. Yep. Yeah. So keep um, going. Sorry. Oh, sorry. No. Um, so we were able to keep our doors open. Um, part of that being because we split our staff in half. And so two would work together, a nurse and a doctor the entire time. So we weren't cross-contaminating each other. Right. Um, and so even though I did get sick <laughs> with COVID and had to quarantine for 10 days, um, my teammates were able to 
continue on working. Mm -hmm. Um, But because of the closures everywhere else, we had a massive number of patients, which Mm. praise the Lord, more opportunity to share Christ with people and with their families. But Mm. at the same time, it was really tiring Mm -hmm. um, and a really difficult (laughs) year for most of us. Um, But, you know, we were just thankful that we were able to continue to provide care um, and that as things began to calm down, you know, we were able to share Jesus with the people that we saw. Well, many historians of the early church talk about when the plagues would ravage the cities of the ancient world, the Christians wouldn't leave, but they would care for the sick and the wounded and the dying, Mm -hmm. and many at cost to themselves. And that is one of the biggest reasons the gospel grew. Because as the wealthy would leave to go to their country villas, Mm -hmm. the people who really loved others were there. And that's what, I mean, the Lord allowed you that. How was your COVID case? Was it was it without incident? Yeah, it was really mild. Um, the funny thing is, I would have never known until um, my roommate, Caitlin, who is also a missionary, um, she's a nurse, but we were living together, making dinner one night, and she was chopping this onion. <laughs> and she was just bawling and bawling. And I'm like, come on, it's not that bad. I was like, I can't even smell it. And then I'm like, wait, wait, I can't, I can't smell it. (laughs) So then I tried to smell everything in the kitchen, could not smell anything. And so I knew that. Isn't that interesting? I had COVID. Yeah. That was my only symptom. So the two of you just had to quarantine. Yeah. We just had to quarantine. We were able to do some telemedicine and phone calls and stuff like that to help out, but Mm -hmm. we couldn't see patients. Wow. Well, so within COVID or outside of COVID or pre-COVID, but what kind of spiritual warfare do you live in or what kind of spiritual victories is God bringing? Like, tell us a little bit about the battle for yeah. souls and lives. Yeah. So I'm not sure if you are aware, but animism really plays a huge role in Bolivia, but especially in Potosi. Hmm. Um, and so there's this strong belief in like a spirit realm and external powers that are active in a person's life, but that these powers can be manipulated to do hmm. kind of what you, what you want. And so many people believe in that and practice sacrifices um, to all of these little G gods, right? Yeah. What kind of sacrifices? Like chickens? Llamas. Really? Um, yeah. Or alcohol or, you know, burn oh. like flowers and stuff like oh, that. Oh, wow. Like any number of things. Yeah, any number of things. Okay. Um, but they do this in hopes of appeasing them, right? So they can either get what they want, which is either prosperity or protection. Um And that sounds a little bit crazy to us, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it does kind of create this backdrop of fear. You know, they have this constant fear that there's some kind of power that's working in their life. And if they don't appease it, then something bad is going to happen to them. And so with that kind of spiritual backdrop Mm -hmm. in our our town, there's a constant (laughs) battle at stake, you know. Um, One, getting people to believe that there is, in fact, only one true God, Mm -hmm. right? And two, that the God of the Bible is all-powerful and sovereign over all things. And so even if there are these other powers in the world, the God of the Bible is bigger and stronger than that. And so getting people to understand that and believe that is a huge battle, (laughs) huge battle. But God has been changing hearts. Um, And I think about this one patient that just comes to mind um, Mm. that kind of illustrates this. But there was a young gentleman who came in. He was 26 years old. And he came into the clinic complaining of unintentional weight loss. Hmm. And he had lost about 20 pounds over the course of a month. And 
he wasn't trying to. He was eating more than normal um, and still losing weight. I know. I was like, this doesn't sound like a problem, but (laughs) you're concerned about it, so I understand. (laughs) Um, But he had already seen two doctors before then, and he was from four hours away. So he came from four hours away to our clinic um, at the recommendation of a family member. But he'd already seen other people who couldn't diagnose him. And this is like a doctor's worst nightmare, right? right. To be like the third or fourth opinion. Yeah. <laughs> um, you just, you're, I feel like I'm set up for failure, you know? Yes. Um, it's like when the couple is having real marital problems and they say, well, before we go to the lawyers, we're coming to see you, Pastor. And I'm like, seriously, you're waiting that long? <laughs> you're right. Anyway, keep going. Um, so he came in hoping for an answer. And after my, you know, history and physical exam, I sent him for a bunch of lab tests. Everything came back normal. Mm. And so I'm like, what do I do? I have no idea. But one thing I learned in the mission field um, and a new culture is if you don't know what's going on, just ask them what they think it is. You know, ask the patient what they think is wrong with them. Nice. Because more than, a, you know, most of the time they will tell you what they think is wrong. So I asked him, and he told me the story about how he was afraid that he had been attacked by a leaky chidi, which for them is a small devil-like person that attacks people while they sleep and like steals their subcutaneous fat. And I know that sounds crazy. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> totally their world, like crazy. it's someone's worldview, and he's living it. Right, it's his and reality. This, and this is a very real fear for mm. Bolivians. And so I asked him. I said, "Well, what happens when someone is attacked by the leaky chidi, and how do you, you know, cure it?" A lot of times, there's rituals that you have to do, or whatever. How is it cured? And he told me that the person loses weight and loses weight and continues to lose weight until they just waste away and die, and that there's no cure. And so, as you can imagine, I didn't really know how to respond to that, (laughs) you know? Um, And I can only say that I felt prompted by the Holy Spirit. And so I just asked him, I said, do you believe in God? Mm. And he looked at me and he said, I believe there is a God, but I don't go to church or, or anything like that. And again, I was just, I felt prompted by the Holy Spirit. And I just told him, I said, well, I believe in the God of the Bible. And I believe that he's all powerful mm-hmm. and that he is more powerful than the leaky cheaty. Mm-hmm. And more than that, I believe that my God can heal you from this. Mm-hmm. And he just looked at me like I was crazy. Right. Because <laughs> um, nobody gets healed from a leaky cheaty. Right. And um, so I just asked him, I said, can I pray for you? Mm-hmm. And he kind of hesitantly was like, okay. Um, so I laid hands on him, prayed for the Lord to heal him told him to come back in a month so we could recheck his weight. But when he walked out the door that day, I was like, there is no way he's coming back. <laughs> there oh, you is have no little way. Faith. I was like, he thinks I'm crazy. Like, there's no way he's coming back. Um, but I prayed for him every day. And a little over a month later, he walked back into the clinic, grinning ear to ear, saying, doctorita, doctorita, which means little doctor. That's <laughs> um, what they call me in Bolivia. I love it. Um, he's like, it worked. Your God healed me. Wow. Amen. And yeah. He had gained back 15 pounds. He was back at work. He was feeling great. And he was giving all of the glory to the God of the Bible. Wow. And what an amazing testimony of who God is and God's power. And so this guy who lives four hours away can go back to his hometown and he'll be the guy that was healed from the leaky cheaty. And what happened? How did that happen? The God of the Bible healed me. Yeah. And which is so much better than penicillin. 
Oh, yeah. Like, you know, like like missionary doctors bringing penicillin, hallelujah, bringing what God has allowed us to discover. But even better is a miracle. Yeah. Just the power of prayer. Exactly. So I just, I Megan, love that story. that's unbelievable. Yeah, that is amazing. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. And we'll, I mean, we'll pray for his village or his, his little town that, yeah. that he really would be. I, I mean, it's like you're living in the acts of the apostles. Mm-hmm. You know, I just... Think of you with, with Paul there in, the, in, in Athens. Well, to the unknown God, let me tell you who he is. <laughs> He's the God of the Bible. And yeah. Wow. Okay, so by the, so we're filming this. We're recording this before you go, obviously. Yes. Uh, but by the time this airs, Lord willing, you'll be on a plane. You'll be in Bolivia. What, what is awaiting you? When, when, when everyone's watching and listening to this, what are you going through? Yeah, so... Um, I mean, the big thing that's kind of awaiting me once I get back to Bolivia is that we're going to be going through a big transition with my team. So mm-hmm. I mentioned there are four of us. One is a missionary physician and his wife. They're retiring after 30 plus years in Bolivia, Wow, which is amazing. But now wow. they want to spend time with their grandkids, yep. which is understandable. Yeah, and that's, a, that's also <laughs> godly. Exactly. So they're moving back to the U.S. in March. Um, okay. And then I'll be arriving back in January to Bolivia. And over the course of the next calendar year, we have two couples coming to the field and one short-term nurse coming to the field right. to my city. And yeah, so it'll yeah. be this big transition with my team. And all of a sudden, I'm going from being the new missionary to being the leader of the team. Oh, boy. And the experienced one, which <laughs> feels crazy. Oh. Um, and so that's kind of the big thing kind of in my immediate horizon is Mm -hmm. how do I navigate this transition? How do I care for my new teammates well and to support them and so that they can thrive on the field and not Mm -hmm. just survive, right? That's the goal. And so how can I support them and care for them um, in a way, in a new role for me? Hey, wow, that's great. Uh, Well, how else can we pray for you? Like, we'd love to pray for you that way, but what other things can folks be remembering you before the Lord with? Yeah. Um, So that is probably a huge thing. (laughs) Um, Another thing that's just kind of been a little bit of a headache is um, I'm still working on getting my paperwork done to get my medical license approved in Bolivia. Right. Um, Everything takes longer. Right. Everything takes longer. And then, you know, you might remember Bolivia had a political revolution a Mm -hmm. few years ago. Mm -hmm. Then we had a global pandemic. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. everything keeps kind of getting shut down. And um, foreigners, and especially Americans, the, the new government doesn't love them. Right. We're not their favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, Can but... you get a little maple leaf tattoo on your shoulder? <laughs> I could try. I'm not <laughs> sure if that would convince them. <laughs> oh, my, my accent really would, would help with that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that's kind of a big yeah. hurdle. Yeah. And it, it doesn't necessarily change very much what I do on a day-to-day basis. I can still care for patients. I can still do what I want to do. Um, it would just make things easier um, in terms of the clinic. So that would be one huge prayer request. So there would be progress in that mm-hmm. process, um, yeah. that I would have favor with the officials that are, are doing that um, mm-hmm. process for me. Um, and then the other thing would be um, as we are transitioning into this new team, so Dr. Steve, who's been there for 30 years, is leaving. Um, and so I'm going to have a little bit more of the patient care burden on myself. And so just Mm. prayers for um, boundaries and knowing when to say yes, when to say no, and wisdom. Um, That's really hard. And I imagine as a pastor, you understand that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) Um, I mean, that's... That when your life is ministry, Mm -hmm. it's hard to to know when to say no. Mm -hmm. Um, But even Jesus did. Right. 
come ye apart and rest a while. Right. You know, he did that with his disciples. Yeah. And he was infinite. Right. <laughs> so for sure us. Well, we will be praying for that. I mean, I mean, boundaries, team care, and then even the red tape. Right. Yeah, I love that. That's really, that's really rich. Um, well, then let me, uh, let me just land the plane here with this uh, last question. Uh, as we call this podcast Encounter Grace, I mean, it's right there on the wall. Uh, we love to think of how God allows us in our days to encounter grace. And, and you've given us a beautiful uh, illustration of that with the guy um, with the weight loss. But how about from Scripture? What, where has he been giving you more grace through Scripture? Like, just encourage us, us with a word of Scripture. Yeah, so um, I've been studying um, the genealogy of Jesus mm. um, as, you know, um, preparing for Christmas, yep, yep. you know, before Christmas. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so it's been so neat to see how God uses all of these really flawed people <laughs> to bring yeah. about um, our Savior's birth. Mm. And just what a beautiful picture of God's grace that he can use us, you know, and yeah. a lot of times people put missionaries on a pedestal. That's true. Pastors too. Pastors too. And we are like oh. the chief of sinners, <laughs> as Paul says. <laughs> Pastors you know? too. <laughs> you know, we, we are not perfect, but yeah. God uses mm-hmm. flawed people for his purposes. And for me, that's just been a huge encouragement reading about, you know, the genealogy of Jesus and learning about the different people leading up to his birth. But yeah. Isn't that rich and humble? And, and yeah, just the encouragement that he does use flawed people. Doesn't wait for us to get perfect. No. Declares us perfect, and then away, and then away he goes over a lifetime. <laughs> right. Megan, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. I know you're doing a lot of things here, um, but thank you for encouraging our family here at Encounter Grace. Thank you for having me. And we look forward to maybe sending a team down to visit with you. That well, would be awesome. 14,000 feet, that's a long way up. There's medicine for that. <laughs> can help and, with that. And a little, uh, little oxygen here that's and there. Right. I, I remember, I, well, never mind. <laughs> but Megan, really, when you're back, we'd love to see you again. We'd love to hear some updates and, and more stories, but also how your team is faring and, and uh, the other stuff. I love it. Uh, as I've told you before, we have several missionaries in Santa Cruz with, with a group I'm, I'm helping out with, South America Mission. And mm-hmm. it'd be so fun to get you all together, although I feel like it's like a six-hour drive because of the the funny uh, roads. Oh, more than that. It's more probably like that. 12 hours, but only wow. like a 45-minute plane ride. Yeah. So here, what would take us maybe four hours to drive, five maybe, there it would take 12 just because of roads and stuff. And mountains, yeah. Well, thank you for listening to God's call to go. I mean, 14,000 feet, mountainous roads, less than ideal situation. Right. But God is sending missionaries to do medical as well as other things. And uh, and now we know the answer to the question. What type of people does he call? Flawed ones. (laughs) Flawed ones. But that are obedient. And willing. And willing. Well, thank you for being flawed and willing. (laughs) Because we all are. Thank you all, you flawed and willing listeners, for being part of this. And uh, we'll look forward to being back with you uh, the next time. This is a ministry of Grace Fellowship Church in Kinston, North Carolina. Visit gracekinston.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.